episode of Downton Gabby Off Season, where we will be talking about our favorite pop culture things going on right now while we get closer and closer to the premiere of the final season of Downton Abbey. Today we'll be running down a fair bit of Downton news since we're so close to the premiere. We'll also be talking about Netflix's groundbreaking new series, Jessica Jones. And we'll be doing a fun little countdown where we talk about our top five favorite female characters of 2015. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. And Teresa's the one who's had a recent exciting Downton experience. So if you guys have been following our Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook feeds, you will have probably seen and heard a lot of this because I was posting like a crazy person. But I did two incredibly cool Downton-related things. Channel 13 here in New York is a huge uh, PBS affiliate. And so they hosted a pretty large-scale season six premiere Um, This was last week on Monday and Tuesday night. They had two events, which I wrangled tickets for. I was very excited. And so we saw episode one of season six, which is really good. And uh, then a lot of the cast was there doing Q&A. And there were two things that really struck me. The first one was... It was such an interesting experience seeing the show with an audience. Mm, totally. See, episode one, I will tell you, is quite funny. And the audience was really like laughing their asses off. And when you sit alone in your living room watching, <laughs> watching the show, I think you think, oh, that's really funny, you know, but, but hearing a whole audience reacting and, and like at one point everyone said, Aww. oh, <laughs> so like cute. That. It was really cute, and it did really make me feel part of a larger community, which I know we are, but being in a theater with hundreds of rabid Downton Abbey fans was was pretty great. Well, I think that the in-person fandom is different than like a lot of what we participate in is sort of like the Twitter side of things, which it's it's very fun on Twitter to make fun of things and be snarky. In person, it's more fun to be sincere. Totally. I would love to watch it with a big group as well. It sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah. My my experience of laughter and tears both were really heightened because I was watching it with this big audience. And that was really, really cool. Um, and you guys are all in tr- for a treat for episode one. Um, and uh, then the cast came out and there were a lot of people from the cast. I'll just give you the character names for now. But Mrs. Hughes, Mr. Carson, um, Branson... Mary, Robert, Cora, and Molesley. That's a big group. That's a really big group. And uh, the moderator was great because he asked good specific questions for everybody. And um, they were hilarious. And what was especially hilarious about the whole group beginning to end was their irreverence towards the show and their characters. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you got the really earnest audience reaction, and then the cast all came out and just totally made fun of everything, which was just, like, completely delightful. And um, Phyllis Logan, who plays Mrs. Hughes, kept promising that she and Carson were going to have all this hot sex in season six. I love it. Which is great. I don't remember why, but Alan Leach, who plays Branson, did a very extended impersonation of someone named Jacques, who is their fashion consultant on the show. Amazing. And he just like 
took off with a sort of an American fashion-y accent. <laughs> I don't think I could breathe by the end of it. He seems like a delightful guy. He's a delightful guy. They're all really very delightful. And, you know, just to inject a note of sadness, uh, you know, we just heard that mm. Michelle Dockery's fiance uh, died um, of cancer at a very young age. And this was also Alan Leach's close friend because he's the one that introduced them. And I was thinking about how really professional they were, you know, they were really putting on a great show for the audience when I could imagine that in real life they were going through some pretty devastating stuff. Oh, yeah. My first thought upon seeing that headline was like a flash of the image of them in that hilarious clip doing the Downton scene in American accents. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. just like, how much must she have been like having to totally compartmentalize yeah. in order to even get through that? It's just, it's very heartbreaking to think about, you know, I just love her. And so she, she's great. And she was great. She talked a lot about the dresses she gets to wear. Yay. <laughs> like, I want to hear her talk about lot, the dresses lot, and the sparkly headbands, obviously. <laughs> yeah. She was talking about all the dresses and the, everything. And then, and then, um, Jim Carter, who plays Carson, said that everyone downstairs has frock envy. <laughs> I would, too. I would be like, um, so we at least get to, like, take these home or something, right? <laughs> he was like, same suit, six years. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, Laura Carmichael, who plays Edith, wasn't there, but there was a cutout of her, and I took about 30 selfies with me in the cutout. <laughs> Pretty much. I loved them. <laughs> Pretty much leaving no doubt, like, what a uh, embarrassing fangirl I am. So the next day, I did something even weirder and more fun. <laughs> um, Channel 13 uh, is showing all of the episodes from seasons one through five, uh, starting on December 31st in the morning, going right through to January 3rd in the evening when the premiere happens of season six. And they decided they wanted to shoot all of these interstitials between episodes. And they had these two announcers, this man and this woman, um, who are talking about each episode as it ends. And behind them is a 1920s New Year's Eve party, which was full of us super fans dressed in our finery so fun cosplay yeah. cosplaying <laughs> yes cosplaying like crazy pretending to drink cocktails and presenting this party backdrop we had to do a countdown at new year's eve they brought each of us up to talk to them to ask us some inane question that we had to answer on camera my question luckily was who's your favorite character edith Edith. So I got to answer that. Um, and then later they needed someone to talk about season one and the people nearby didn't, couldn't remember what was in season one. And I said, I know season one. <laughs> so I got pulled up again to talk about my favorite moments of season one. And of Which course were I said, Mr. Pimook. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I love that you got cosplay into the mix as we're nearing the last season because you know we've we've done the fan fiction and I I would be surprised if we don't bust out a little fan fiction for the the final season. Oh, we have. But those to. are like the two big fandom activities, right? So I'm very glad that you got to participate. In that. <laughs> I'm super jealous. Well, there were 
there were three people who were there. Most of us were dressed in 1920s-ish fashions, but these three people who are hardcore cosplayers were dressed in season one, Ooh, Downton Abbey Finery. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Mrs. Hughes, Mr. Carson, and Edith. Nice. And really, they were awesome. They were very, very nice people, and they are Downton Gabby fans. So, <gasps> Lorraine wow. and company, if you're listening, shout out to you oh, guys. Oh, awesome. Shout amazing. out to them. That's awesome. Yeah, so that was also really really great and talking about the minutiae of Downton trivia was also pretty fun yeah Brothgate I mean how many people were talking about Brothgate of last season <laughs> big moment <laughs> see you should have been there Shannon because I would never have thought of Brothgate all the random things that happen over the seasons Shannon remembers those <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was really fun. And I was there with my two friends, Melinda and Melissa. Hi, girls. And uh, they are coming over on New Year's so we can watch ourselves on TV. Awesome. Please record it. You have to record it. And it, we're, well, we're only two and a half weeks away from the premiere in the U.S. And uh, hopefully, and if I don't know if we have any U.K. listeners, but... If something big happens on the Christmas special, just shut your traps, please. <laughs> yeah. Because so <laughs> please. far... I, so far, I've been pleased with a lack of spoilers. I agree. Um, I will admit that I watched the first couple episodes um, through nefarious means, but then I kind of decided that I would rather wait because my main reason for wanting to watch them was to avoid spoilers, and I feel like people are being actually cool about it. So Totally. We'll see. I haven't seen any spoilers, and as we're getting closer to the season... I'm now uh, currently drinking wine out of my Downton Gabby drinking companion glass. Yay! <laughs> yes, this will be my main glass from here until the end of the season. Um, and we still have more glasses, so if people want to purchase those, um, just give us a message and uh, we'll get that over to you. Yeah, you can actually go to our Tumblr page, downtongabby.tumblr.com, and then on the top menu, there's a link that says buy, and if you click on buy, it will lead you to the page where you can order a glass or two. Well, and there is Down Abbey brand of wine. They make, I think they make like a Cabernet and a Chardonnay. They make a red and a white Downton Abbey wine, so you can buy the Downton Abbey wine and then the Downton Gabby drinking companion, and you're set. I feel like I'm going to go a little crazy and just start buying, like, all sorts of things because I'm, like... I know. I'm a little bit in denial that this is the final season, you know? I know. I just like the whole process of Downton Abbey so much. (laughs) I do love their tagline, going out in style. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, Kevin Doyle, who plays Molesley, who, by the way, got so much audience love at the cast Q&A... He he was talking about how not everything gets wrapped up at the end of season six. And he said that that was great because it would let the audience uh, think about what happens next, which is basically just an invitation for books worth of fan fiction to continue the stories. But does this mean that Bates is going to be hauled off to jail and we don't know if he's going to get out or something? I mean, is that... Or I still love your idea that their baby would then be charged for murder. The baby. The baby's going to be framed for okay. murder. I st- I'm standing by that prediction. There's still... And also, they were very coy about a movie. So... Ooh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Then we could see it together. Um, that would be fun. Well, is this going to be before or after Julian Fellows does the School of Rock Broadway musical <laughs> with Andrew Lloyd <laughs> so Webber or whatever? It's- 
That I mean, I don't even know what to say about two old British lords writing School <laughs> yeah. of Rock. But it, Let's I think get it those has... two in a room and tell us about how rock music works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's opened. It's I think it's opened or is about to open on Broadway. Oh, Julian, just go write the Gilded Age or whatever. That was a great yeah. idea. Stop Please. doing this. Well, the other person on that panel was Graham Neem, who is one of the producers. And he said that he would love to, sometime in the future, see a show where George is running Downton, like, in the 1960s or something. Oh, my God. I would love that. Oh, my God. And what if you, like, cast Jessica Finley Brown as grown-up Sibby? <gasps> Cute. Yes. Yeah, but what if they put shag carpet in Downton? <laughs> well, that's what's going to happen. And George is going to have these big sideburns. It's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> Everyone's Car- sitting around in the library, but they're in, like, beanbag chairs. Yeah. Carson is just a ghost haunting it, just horrified of all the changes they've made. Well, I'm super excited for January 3rd. I'm ready to dive back into the world, just ready to get back to it, and uh, excited to record our last season. Well, while we're mourning the impending end of one of our favorite shows, let's talk about the first season of a show that has been um, making a lot of waves lately. That is Netflix's Jessica Jones. Which I feel like, I've watched all of it. I don't know how far you guys have gotten into it. But I love that the reaction has been so positive to the idea of not just taking seriously a a story that has a female superhero at the core. Which I feel like has been just stupidly slow in coming in this wave of, of superhero stories. But also thinking about different ways that the superhero genre can mash up against other genres because I don't I don't want to just watch cities getting destructed all the time and this is a very different take on a superhero story. Well, I like what you said there. Um, something that I think that really makes this stand out that's really different from like Captain America or something is that there's consequences in this one. You know, you watch these big superhero movies and they kill all these innocent people and demolish buildings and there's nothing, there's no consequences. But in Jessica Jones, there's always a consequence. You know, Mm -hmm. um, the pilot of this girl is being, her mind's being controlled and during that time she kills her parents. Well, then she's in jail. You know, um, a consequence of another guy being mind controlled is he loses his kid. Like, I like that there's, it's a supernatural story, but it still fits within the real world and there's a real world consequences and I feel like that's totally fresh and unique and I've loved that and on that same topic I love how it's woven into the larger Marvel universe um I've only seen about half the series but there is a scene where uh a woman is yelling at Jessica Jones for destroying the city Mm -hmm. and it turns out that it's the Avengers that right. did that, you know, and Jessica Jones like, I didn't, I had nothing to do with that. I wasn't there. But I mean, the, the, again, the fallout of all the people that got killed when buildings fell down because the Avengers were defending the city. Nobody ever talks about that. Right. And this woman is, is really upset, understandably. Yeah. Her mom died or something. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it did put a human face to it. Cause that bothers me so much about the Marvel movies. Like, I'm just like, uh, isn't it? Or like the Taken movies, you know, it's like all these people are killed and it's there's like, a, there's a lot of action movies that these fall are people, into that category. You know, some of them are just doing their job. They're just working for the wrong boss, you know? 
I don't know. So I like the consequences in it. And I it feels very real, even though it is a superhero story. The other thing I love about the show um, is that it, it feels to me like a real ensemble show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's also because it's part of the Marvel Universe. There are a lot of characters that have their own backstories. Yeah. Um, so they sort of arrived with these sort of more fully formed stories. But I feel like even though the show centers around... Jessica Jones, the supporting players are are real real characters and multidimensional characters and interesting characters. Yeah, I want to say in particular because um, the first couple episodes don't really uh, let you know where things are going to go with Trish mm-hmm. slash Patsy. I, I'm not a huge comics buff, but I know enough about the world to know that she is a character who has existed before in the Marvel universe and has shit that's coming with her. But that doesn't mean that I trusted that they were going to treat her well, given the way that female characters are typically treated in these adaptations. So the fact that the actress is so great, I just, she used to be on, she was briefly on Grey's Anatomy and I once ate brunch next to her here in LA. So like, let me just, so you guys are BFFs. We're BFFs, Pretty much. yeah, exactly, okay. yeah. And Rachel Taylor definitely remembers eating brunch next to me two years ago. She's um, been tweeting about it nonstop. I love that it was an opportunity for uh, two female characters with a lot going on in their respective lives to have a real relationship on screen, which I feel like is something that's missing from a lot of superhero stories. You know, there's a lot of bromance stuff that goes on in them, and you don't get the female side of it which they they treated in such an interesting way here, one character who has powers and one who doesn't, and yet they have to complement each other. They have to support each other because, you know, Trisha's strengths, Jessica needs mm-hmm. to do what she has to do and vice versa. Uh, I thought it was just really well handled, and that was the through line that kept me very interested in the show, even when I felt like, some of the stuff with the ongoing storyline with the villain got a little, uh, it just felt a little stretched. Yeah. You know, it felt like, it felt like they could have told the story in 10 episodes instead of 13 episodes. I, yeah. I'm in the middle of the season right now and I kind of got bored because of that. And I was like, I, it started to feel a little too network for me. Like you're stretching this into 22 when it could have been 12 and even though it's 13. Yeah. I feel like it could be told in 10 but um, there's just some really great stuff going on. I mean, I also love Trish's apartment that she's created it like this intense security lockdown because mm-hmm. I think that taps into every woman's fear of someone coming into her house yep. and raping and killing her. Every woman fears that. I mean, I was literally like, God, I love this. I wish I could have this for like yeah. when I'm home alone yeah. and I could like isn't that room? crazy like part of me was like this is a great reveal like it's shocking that she would do all this and then part of me was like I would take a panic room oh my god hell yes yeah. I would take a panic room yeah I would take some you know bulletproof glass or whatever yes give it to me I just want to bring our attention over to Mr. Luke Cage oh yeah my attention's been there so I am at attention Holy shit, that man is fine. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Overall, it's weird to me because I feel like um, the the actor who plays Luke Cage, Mike Coulter, is obviously just a beautiful, incredible man. 
And I feel like there's been weirdly more attention given to David Tennant. Like, people yeah. are really into David Tennant for some reason. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I mean, he's got a British accent. Is that what we're into here? I was confused by that, too, because I'd read a lot about the show before I watched it. And it was like, David Tennant, David Tennant, David Tennant. And then I'm watching it, and I'm like, uh, he's not that interesting. <laughs> Well, he's, Luke Cage is going to get his own series, yeah. so yes. it's not like he's going to be disappearing into the ether. I, I, um, I'm always a little nervous about mentioning this, but um, the actor who plays Luke Cage, Mike Coulter, played a fairly major role in The Good Wife uh, until last season. He was Lamond Bishop, uh, who any watchers of The Good Wife know is a drug kingpin, and um <laughs> As Lamont Bishop, he looks nothing like Luke Cage. Really? I, yeah. I re- he he's sort of a t- looks to me like he's a tall, slim, incredibly dapperly dressed uh, evil guy. When I was watching Jessica Jones, I re- I recognized his voice, and I'm like, I know that voice. Where do I know that voice from? And you know, IMDb is always open on my laptop. Oh yeah, so always. I looked him up, and I'm like, oh shit, it's Lamont Bishop. Um, He's he's much more bulked up right. than Jessica Jones, and he's much more emotive. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just wanted to drop that in there for people who were trying to figure out where they knew him from, and it's from The Good Wife, the best show. I feel like you're always playing seven degrees from The Good Wife. <laughs> no, here's the thing with The Good Wife. You know, it shoots in New York, so every single actor based in New York has been on The Good Wife. Pretty much, like I watch Quantico, right? So the wait, actor you're still plays... watching Quantico? I think we've all stopped. Oh, you're the I only gave one. up on that one, girl. I was like, life's too short. <laughs> yeah. we, don't, we don't have to talk a lot about Quantico, but but the character who is the the gay Orthodox mm. Jew or whatever the hell he is. Uh, he was I on thought the good he was wife. a fake gay, fake Jew. Is he, he not Yeah, fake? yeah. He's, okay. We still don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so he's on The Good Wife. And I think he was cast because he's really good at crying on cue because he did oh, that yeah. in both The Good Wife and Quantico. All I'm saying is everyone was on The Good Wife like everyone was on Law & Order. Every New York actor. So, Well, my biggest beef with Jessica Jones, which I know I had to just text you guys last night about, is like, what is up with these jeans that she's wearing? They don't fit. <laughs> They've got all these creases in the crotch, and I guess it's, like, showing that she doesn't care about her clothes, but it makes her look like she's got this fupa, and she doesn't. She's skinny as shit, and it's really awkward. I can't stop looking at her crotch creases, and I just hate them so much. I hate those jeans. I'm doing an image search. You guys are going to hear me tapping on my computer right now because I'm going to do an image search yeah. for Jessica Jones. So I can see these jeans that you're so... They're constantly showing them because she's always walking places and it's just like crotch creases in my face. And it's like so annoying because it's like jeans are really great now. She could just wear good <laughs> jeans. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, crotch creases. It sort of puffs out in front. It's weird. I don't know. It's an interesting choice. Kristen Ritter is obviously an incredibly striking woman and I love... I, I was excited when she got cast in this role back in the day, even though I barely knew anything about this character. I just knew she would, you know, knock anything out of the park. Yeah. She's such a great actress. Um, I guess what we haven't talked about that has been the core of a lot of the uh, criticism about the show, and I mean that in the terms of just pe- critics writing about it, not negative press, 
uh, is its narrative about abuse. Uh, I don't know how far you guys have gotten, but there is, without spoiling much, a scene in which Jessica is very straight with Kilgrave about what he did to her, and her use of the word rape is very striking, and he doesn't want to hear it. Like, the fact that he Mm. is not capable, even at his most evil, of hearing himself called a rapist is very interesting. Again, I do feel like they could have sort of cut back a little bit and hit those themes harder if they only had, you know, nine or ten episodes instead of 13. But I really appreciated that they they went out on that limb and they actually called it what it was. It wasn't, then there's no euphemism. It's not just like, you controlled me, you abused me. She literally is like, you raped me. Yeah. Because I wasn't under my own control. And I feel right. like that's a very uh, important thing that they're doing. Well, and I think we have to really acknowledge that this was created by a woman. And it feels very feminine, you know, just like with the safe room and Trish and, yeah, following the PTSD from abuse and uh, just how rape and abuse can tear apart a woman's life, but she still holds on to herself, you know, and it feels, it feels like a woman's at the helm and I feel respected as a female viewer. It's actually Melissa Rosenberg who wrote the screenplay for all the Twilight films. So it's very interesting. Which I feel like there's some good stuff in the Twilight movies. I mean, there's a lot that's bad. But this. She made it better than the books as best as she could, I think. Yeah. I mean, gave Bella a backbone of some, some kind. Yeah, I think you can real really feel the sort of female emphasis. Um, the arc of this first season is, you know, credit where credit's due based off of a, a comic arc by Brian Michael Bendis. But I think, like, there are extended scenes and scenes upon scenes where most of the core people are women because it's not just Jessica and her best friend but there's also the lawyer she's working with the lawyer's ex-wife the lawyer's girlfriend uh flashbacks with trish's mom you know there's just like there's a really interesting contingent of female characters at the core of what's going on and the villain while male uh and while significant exists off screen for a lot of the episodes yeah you know he's more of he's more indicative of the kind of threats that women face every day Mm -hmm. that might not actually come to fruition that day and then sometimes they do and sometimes he shows up and that is what's effective about some of the terror too which is a very female perspective to me the way that they adapted the story to have him not always be there Absolutely. I mean, he kind of is misogynistic rape culture in this fear that you could be attacked at any moment and something very precious could be taken away from you. And, you know, and not just like precious, like your body, but like that kind of part of your soul. And by the way, the the character of the lawyer, Jerry Hogarth, is a man in the comic books and it was changed to a woman. I kind of wish it was a woman of color. I will say this. I think, yeah, there's a couple men of color, but it's, like, pretty white cast. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a good point. That's a really good point. And there's no reason for basically any of them to need to be white, particularly with 
considering where the comic takes place or where the show takes place. So Yeah, that feels a little lazy to me. I mean, we could we say that about basically every show we ever watch on this <laughs> podcast, so yeah. And I'm going to say it again. <laughs> I mean, we will keep saying it until someone listens. We may be white girls, but we don't want to just watch, watch white girls. So Totally. Um, but I'm really, I am really liking the show. Um, I think I just kind of hit the lull of the mid-season. Um, you know, and I will say I kind of kept not starting it because everyone kept saying it's so intense, it's so intense, it's so intense, and that kind of turned me off. Um, it's not that intense. It's not more <laughs> intense than something like, well, I think it's because of the binge factor. Like, I, I don't think it's well binged. I have already finished it, but I watched it in like two episode clumps where like every couple of days I'd watch a couple episodes. I think you're totally right on that. I think it's not good binge, but I don't think I was thinking it was going to be like breaking bad intense. Like I, 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 because different reviewers, different people I know that seen it kept saying that. And I was like, I don't know, coming in from work, I don't really want to watch something intense that it's like, yeah, there's elements of it that are intense, but it's it mostly entertaining. I honestly think that speaks more to the fact of what we expect to see from female characters on screen. Like, I think people were not prepared to see the rawness of a female character's pain right. the way that they show it in this show. Does that feel intense? Yes. Uh, but does it feel too intense to watch? Not at all. Uh, because I think we all can relate to it. And... Uh, I just think I think in that way the show is very fresh and a lot of shows would prefer to do this sort of thing where the main female character's pain is sort of slowly teased out over time and then at some point you get some sort of gasp reveal about why she is so hurt all the time. And this show's not interested in that, yeah. you know. Jessica Jones is not Olivia Pope. She's raw <laughs> about what she's feeling. Um, and I fucking love Scandal, so that's not an insult. I'm just saying, like, there's a certain way you're supposed to treat female pain, and this show is doing something new. And so even though I have some complaints about some of the plotting, I think what they're doing thematically is very important. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point, and I'm really excited to keep watching it. Um, I do think, yeah, just an episode here, episode there is the best way to go, so I'm going to take my time with it. Um, and I'm really excited about it. I, I had one other thought about, you know, just the way that um, Jessica's portrayed in terms of her sexuality and the sexual abuse in her past, which is that they make a really clear delineation between what was abusive and what is consensual. Mm-hmm. Like her consensual sex, which, you know, goes sort of throughout the series is very clearly consensual and enjoyable and celebratory. You know, I mean, it's like sex she really wants to have that she really enjoys. And there is absolutely no confusion with the abuse that she has Mm -hmm. suffered in the past and how that has affected her and how she feels about it. There is no um, blurred lines as they say on the radio. Because <laughs> most women never feel those blurred lines. They don't. Right. In their hearts, they know what is what feels good and what hurts. And that's where I feel like it's a woman's voice. Right. Yeah, exactly. and the thing is, is, you know, in all these conversations about uh, yes means yes and c- the importance of consent, 
people seem, some people miss the point and think that means you need to be sort of like vocally going down a checklist <laughs> right. your whole time. You know, Jessica and Luke, when they're fucking, they know what they want, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. no dialogue. She can convince, like, say what she wants. <laughs> I've had several conversations about how hot those sex scenes are with both men and women, my friends mm-hmm. who are watching the show. And I just want to, like, point them as an example of, like, these are the images we need to be see- seeing about how a woman will act if she wants it. Like, yeah, that's kind of like what we need. <laughs> I just, right. you know, it, it, they're really, I'm glad you brought that up and mentioned that because it's really important, I think. Absolutely. All right. Well, obviously we love the female centricness on Jessica Jones. And uh, right now we're going to be very female because we would like to do a little fun exercise and sort of count down some top five female characters of 2015. Now, I know each of us has come up with our own list, and we have kind of uh, made up our own rules for our own list. (laughs) I will say I made myself a rule where the only characters I was going to mention were brand new characters in 2015. So before a year ago today, they were just a twinkle in our eye. We had never seen them. Uh, but I know that you guys had some different parameters for your best of 2015 lists. Yes, mine come, mine have been on past seasons of shows, but they had to have been in an episode in 2015. And I also, um, I have books, TV, and movies in mine. Um, and mine is, um, if they if they've appeared prior to 2015, there was something that character did in 2015 that kind of elevated them for me, uh, made them rise to the surface. And likewise, if they did great things that I loved, but it wasn't in 2015, then they don't get mentioned, unfortunately, right. which, which cut out a bunch of people because uh, the second seasons weren't as exciting. Well, <laughs> I have to say I agree. There was a character I really struggled. Am I going to put them on or not? And I just, the second season, knocked him off my list. They're on an honorable mention. Uh, but You have to tell us at the end of this. Sure. Yeah. So, at number five, I would like to talk about a show that, as we are recording this, just ended last night. And that is um, Fargo Season 2. And uh, with no spoilers, uh, Peggy Blumquist... Kirsten Dunst's character on Fargo Season 2. I have been a huge fan of Kirsten Dunst for, like, forever. I think she's very underrated as an actress. This character was, like, out of the blue crazy. And yet, I don't want to give you any spoilers for what happens to her because I know you guys haven't watched it. But I just really appreciated the way that she could be simultaneously sort of this catalyst for bigger things that are happening around her. And just a tiny microcosm of how fucking frustrating it must have been to be a woman before sort of second lib ever happened. <laughs> I mean, this character is totally consumed by her limitations. And I found it to be a really interesting thing. I also think she was deeply, darkly funny. And uh, Noah Hawley, who writes the Fargo uh, series, I'm so impressed by him. Just grateful that he gave her this platform because I think it was one of the best performances that I've seen this year. 
That's number five. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. At number five, I'm doing my only movie character. Which I would have to say, I think there is a theme for all of mine, which are lady characters who give zero fucks. It's pretty much the theme of my list. So number five, Furioso and Mad Max. Yeah. This movie just really blew me away. I've never seen a character like her before. I've never seen many of the female characters that are in that movie. So I want to give credit to Furioso for being a badass and saving the man over and over again and choosing to save women and taking on patriarchy in the future. But also I want to give credit to George Miller who created this movie and, and hired his wife who is the only one nominated for golden globe for editing. That's a woman, (laughs) you know, I mean, he created this whole world of female characters with Furioso at the lead, you know, who overshadowed the name of the movie, Mad Max. And, um, I could watch a million more movies with her in it. Yeah, I feel like they're. I don't. I know they're planning to do more Mad Max movies, and I hope that Furiosa ends up being a core part of that because I mean, Charlize Theron is incredible, and she did a wonderful job with that part. And just like none of the shit had to be spelled out on screen, you know? Yeah, it was. It all just came through in the way the character was acting. We didn't need any sort of like monologue about the backstory or whatever like it was all just there laid bare and I loved that so my number five pick is Princess Caroline from Bojack Horseman uh, Netflix series animated Uh, she's voiced by Amy Sedaris and the reason I, I picked her was primarily because of her long relationship with her boyfriend, Vincent Adult Man, uh, which fans of the show know that is three little boys in a trench coat. Um, and uh, I, ju- I just feel like that storyline, just Princess Caroline just stands for every single woman who just so wants a nice boyfriend that she will delude herself into thinking that those three little boys in one trench coat is an actual person (laughs) and be very happy in the relationship. (laughs) And so I just think that that is the weirdest storyline ever. And, um, it just, it just works perfectly. And I just found out that Vincent adult man is voiced by Alison Brie. So there's that too. (laughs) I love, God, I love BoJack. I love that show so much. All right, moving on to my number four pick. Um, I almost kind of feel like this should be ranked higher, but uh, I just, I need to talk about sadness in Inside Out. I can't, I don't even know what to say about this character. I just want to, like, cry and laugh when I think about it so uh I kind of wish we could get like a phone app like maybe like a GPS voice that is sadness <laughs> right I, I need to jump in and say that sadness is also my number four pick. <laughs> no! <laughs> we're gonna have some overlap that's gonna happen we're gonna uh-huh. have some over- I mean we talked about Inside Out a few episodes ago and obviously we talked about why we love this character so much um I think so. I think what I would just want to add is how much it has stuck with me. You know, the the way that the movie um, takes that emotion very seriously, and I think there's a lot of narrative about female emotions that makes it seem like we're too dramatic and we're too sad and we're too whatever about anything. 
and that those sh- those things should be mitigated. They should be snuffed out so that we're enjoying life more or whatever. And I loved the fact that Inside Out didn't go that route and that sadness was given its due. Yeah. <laughs> and she was able to just be and to contribute and ultimately to matter in a way that maybe isn't always expressed when we're talking about the realm of emotions and sadness is called like something bad. So I, I felt, and I, I'm just, I feel like it's super important and I'm happy that kids are going to be able to watch this movie and I'm happy that Phyllis Smith did such a beautiful job with the character. Like it makes me want to cry in a good way thinking about that character. I feel like you're channeling sadness right now. <laughs> and it's beautiful. I have nothing to add. Sadness. I want, I want sadness to be nominated for an Oscar. Yes. Mm. Yes. Totally. Okay, well, I didn't choose sadness as my number four. Um, I chose... You're a monster. You're a monster. Fuck sadness. We're going to talk about laughter. Because I am gonna. I chose Sharon Horgan's character from Catastrophe as my number four. No, fuck, that was going to be my number three. That's my number three. Stop it. Sorry, put her one lower. Well, we can all say when we love her. Uh, Catastrophe is the number one best comedy of the last year, um, in my opinion, and, you know, co-created by Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney, it breaks so many molds of the rom-com, of comedies, of what a female comedic character is supposed to be, and she is so fucking delightful, and she nails it, and I love her. Yeah. Yeah what I was going to say. All right, go yeah. for it. Here's your number three, Sharon Horgan. Go. <laughs> I mean, God, and I love that, um, I don't know, I think a lot of narratives about uh, female characters that are around the same age as this character and that involve, have, like, procreating, they all kind of have the same shit to say, and this felt so fresh to me. Yeah, she's not pathetic. And she's not like this pathetic woman that this is her last chance to have a kid. You know, and I no, feel like that's, that's usually not what it was about at all. Like I loved the specificity of it, and I loved the um, the way that the relationship between the two characters and the romance between them was given uh, just as much space to breathe as the idea that they were going to have a baby. I mean, I just think that show is fucking phenomenal. I can't wait to watch season two. It's just it's smart. It feels real and adult. And I mean, honestly. There's no other character on TV in this season who sweared as best yes, as Sharon character did. Right. Like, the profanity was fucking top-notch. That's how she made it on my Ladies Who Give Zero Fucks list of the year. <laughs> yeah. She's also my number three, and I'm just going to add that Catastrophe can be seen on Amazon.com streaming. If you don't have Amazon.com, just get a month free membership so you can watch that and transparent season two Um, yeah but but really i think catastrophe turns the idea of a rom-com completely inside out and it is really i I agree it's one of the best shows out there it was a crime that it was not nominated for a golden globe instead shows no one's talking about (laughs) mozart in the jungle and casual oh what nobody's the Golden Globes make no sense. It's just foreign people checking boxes of names no, that they know. It's even worse than random this year. But another <laughs> podcast, another podcast. Okay, 
My number three, it's probably an obvious choice, but you know what? I don't care. I don't care that it's obvious because I'm not over losing her. I love her. She's still the lock screen image on my phone, and that is Peggy Olson. She had to be. She had to be in my top yeah. five. I'm not ready to say goodbye. She has been a, one of the most important female characters for me. I think of my adult life, and watching her journey over that show, and just those final images of her roller skating around with Roger playing that <laughs> piano, organ, whatever it was. And then, of course, the iconic image of her smoking that cigarette, carrying the tentacle porn, walking into McCann Erickson. It's just, Classic. there's not many, been many characters I really missed more when they ended. And uh, yeah, she's going to stick with me a long time. I totally get that, and um, like I said earlier, I put some parameters on myself to avoid having to talk with old characters, but like... Obviously, in Mad Men, there's a lot of characters we're going to miss, but I feel like there's something about Peggy Olsen that is not just important to the show itself, but I want to just thank the writers for creating her for all of the influence over time. Yeah. You know? Because Joan's a great character, and Betty's a great character and stuff, but they come from this this mold that is more quote-unquote understandable about women of the time that they're in, right? Peggy felt off and original in a way that I feel like we really need to have. Like, we need to not assume all women of a certain era are a certain way or blah, blah, blah. Well, she represents all of us who are nerdy and ambitious, you know? And I'm not a Joan. I'm not a Betty. I'm not, but I could be a Peggy. The level of growth <laughs> over time, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know, and the way that she left off, I, there's a lot of things that I'm going to be thinking about for a long yeah. time, for years, about that character. She, stu- she stuck with me, and I think, for me, a big parameter on my list was, am I still thinking about them? I think that's actually a great uh, parameter. So I want to I wanna talk about The Leftovers Season 2. And I want to talk about the beautiful actress Regina King who is getting, like, finally getting the kind of roles that she is deserving of in the last couple of years. I specifically want to call out her character of Erica on this show because, uh, number one, because I was deeply impressed with the way that this show sort of recognized its own strengths and half reinvented itself in season two. And also because I feel like it's just rare that we get to see this, like, this kind of character on screen. I feel like you get to see, quote-unquote, strong black women. And you get to see wives who are dealing with their husband's shit. And you get to see mysteries. And I don't know. This all brought it together in a way that was so incredible for me. This is the kind of character where, like, everything she does is surprising and yet nothing ever feels uh, off. Nothing ever feels like something she wouldn't have done. The And it all builds into some really incredible shit in the last couple episodes, but I want to specifically call out an earlier scene. You learn that the character is hard of hearing and... Uh, probably legally deaf, I don't know what the definition for that is, but she wears hearing aids. 
And there's a scene in which she doesn't have her hearing aids in. And most shows would take the shitty route and play that for suspense and be like, oh, no, Erica can't hear what's going on. And now it's so scary, blah, blah, blah. But there's this whole sequence where she just goes about doing exactly what she would have fucking done anyway if she'd had her (laughs) hearing aids in. But the audience can only hear what she can hear. And I cannot understate the effectiveness in that of this scene. Like, it is incredible uh, as far as respecting the fact that some people are dealing with other shit that other people are not dealing with. Like, I really, like... I cannot underestimate how impressed I was by the show building this character and putting this as part of her shit and yet having it be a minor part of what's going on with her. It is so cool. And and also Regina King is just amazing. So, I don't know. The Erica. Fucking yes. Just fucking yes to season two of The Leftovers, which I didn't even like season one. Season two is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life, and I just want to, like, kiss Damon Lindelof on the mouth. Well, oh, well, you like the end of Lost, so never mind. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) But, no, but I am hearing really great. I mean, season two of The Leftovers is on everyone's top ten list end of year. I mean, there's definitely a lot of buzz. I'm going to check that out over the holidays for sure. It's so good. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, season one was a real boner killer, but, um, um, okay. I have another obvious choice, uh, for number two, but you know what? The heart wants what the heart wants. And, uh, that's Cersei Lannister. Favorite character that I look forward to watching to on TV. Hands down. There is no greater bitch in this world than Cersei Lannister, but she is multi-layered, And she is a villain who is truly female and fights with female strengths. And that is really rare. And I just love her. I mean, Lena Hadley, she just acts the shit out of that. And I feel like this last season, every season, Cersei tops herself. And obviously the Walk of Shame episode of last season was amazing. But it wasn't even the Walk of Shame it's when he picks her up at the end and she just has it look in her eye and you're like, this bitch isn't done fighting. And that's why I love Cersei yeah. Lannister. They can take everything away from her. I mean, she's been raped, sold to different men to be married to, you know, all that. But you know what? She's She is herself and she has her power and no one will take her power. And I love her for that. I think that's an amazing pick. And I think it's telling that, like, There are obviously, we've talked about how there are a lot of really impressive female characters on Game of Thrones, but like what you said about being curious about what she's going to do next and feeling really excited about that, like she's the core one that embodies that kind of feeling. Yep. Daenerys has kind of lost me the last few seasons, so. Mm -hmm. This This is what I was saying about how there are characters that I have loved, but not in this most recent season. Yeah. But I think Cersei is a great choice. So my number two is um, Black Cindy from Orange is the New Black. Yes. Good choice. Uh, played by Adrienne Seymour. And she's a character who, in the past, I just seemed like kind of a joke to me. I, I didn't have a lot of patience for her character. She was, you know, sort of annoying and immoral, but not in a really fun way and just was there to provide some sort of humor. 
And in season three, which I think is the best season, although I know many people will not agree with me, but I liked it a lot. It was I don't my favorite season. People who didn't like it. Yeah, I love the season for many, many reasons, not the least of which was Black Cindy's character arc, which I won't spoil. But basically, she goes from being, you know, this just kind of annoying character without a lot of depth to her to a scene in the final episode that was so moving it made me cry. Oh, yeah. And the whole time it just kind of sneaks up on you. You know, you don't really see it happening. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> what just happened in a way that you feel like her character is also kind of going through that feeling of, Oh shit, what just mm-hmm. happened? I want to say like this character wasn't eligible for my personal parameters for the list, but if we were making a list of top five scenes of the year, I don't know if that final black Cindy scene that you're talking about wouldn't be my fucking number one scene of the year. It was so emotional mm-hmm. and beautiful and wonderful. And just kind of like the epitome of what Orange is the New Black does. Yeah. I thought it's one of those scenes that makes you want to, like, simultaneously quit writing because you're never going to be that good and write forever (laughs) because that's what you, that's what writing does. Yeah. Good point. And I have to, I have to interject and say that my number two pick is really my number one pick because my actual number one pick is very eccentric and not, not in the (laughs) same league. (laughs) I'll tell you when we get there. But really, I think that, Black Cindy is my favorite character of two, of 2015. Let me talk about my number one pick. I want to talk about a show that I don't feel like is getting the attention it deserves because it's whatever. It's an ABC sitcom, but Whoa. I think the the importance of the show <laughs> is like being vastly under underrepresented because of what it is. So I want to talk about Constance Wu's performance as Jessica mm. Wong on Fresh Off the Boat. We talk about representation a lot on this show, on our podcast, and this is the only show when it premiered that had any Asian character as one of the leads. And Constance Wu is so funny. She shouldn't work. Like, nothing about her should work. In real life, she's only, like, 28, and she's playing a character who has, like, a 12-year-old son and, like, other, (laughs) like, it shouldn't, it shouldn't work, but she is just that good. And when you see or read interviews with her, she is amazing talking about what she knows about what she's doing. I just, I'm so grateful that the show exists. And I just want to shout out this character, not just because of the fact that it's ridiculous how few Asian women characters are on network TV in the U.S. And not just because she's hilarious, but also because... This is low-key, a beautiful show about kind of adapting as a woman to a new reality. Supposedly, the son is the main character. I will tell you that Jessica is the main character. She should be the queen of TV. (laughs) All right, that's a a good note to end on. (laughs) Okay, my number one is from a book um, because I can't stop thinking about her. It's a book called Illuminae, which is a YA novel, and it's a very interesting book because it's kind of like a multimedia art project. It's not just narrative. It's all these kind of like government documents put together to talk about this thing that happened on these spaceships. And at the core of it is this character, Katie Grant, who is a teenage hacker. What I love about her is I've read 
a lot of novels in the last year. I read mostly things by female authors with female characters, and I get really frustrated that I've read a couple different books, The Queen of Tyrolene and The Elite, where the female character is given power and says, I don't know if I want it. I just don't know. Am I worth it? What the fuck? Who would ever do that? No male character would ever do that. And I kind of got really frustrated with, like, maybe this is how YA female heroes are. Because even Katniss Everdeen starts to do that in Mockingjay. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want it. I don't know if I'm the leader. So it's so refreshing to read this book. And Katie Grant never shirks from the opportunity to seize power and to use her brain and her strong will to save the day. And it just reminds me of my favorite female character, Scarlett O'Hara, who is a little bit more on the dark side than Katie Grant. <laughs> the dark side of Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah, she's pretty dark. But I'm just, I'm ready for more female characters who will kick ass. It's not that she's not female. She does cry. She does fall in love and miss people who have died and all those things that are, you know, more emotional. But you know what? She gets the fucking job done. Tell us the name of the book again. Illuminae. And it's actually by a, a man and woman wrote it together, Jay Kristoff and Amy Kaufman, I believe. So I have to explain my number one, because after some of my like really heartfelt recommendations, this is going to feel silly. But the, the truth is that I've had a kind of a rough fall or winter for various reasons, nothing to worry about, but I've just been kind of down. And sometimes you need to escape to something, to a place that makes you happy to a place where nothing bad will happen to you. And for me, that place was the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> <laughs> so my number one characters are the presenters of the Great British Baking Show, Mel Gedroik, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Mel Gedroik and Sue Perkins, who um, are just absolutely delightful. And, you know, that show combines two of my favorite things, which is baked goods and British people. <laughs> And everyone is so charming and lovely, and I get to learn all sorts of things about my favorite hobby of baking. And um, a lot of it is thanks to Mel and Sue, who keep the atmosphere light and eat a great amount of the stuff that people are baking while they're baking with it, which, you know, I don't know how that happens. Yeah, I just love this show so much. I've seen three seasons worth now. Don't ask me how. And uh, it is available on Netflix for one season. And I think PBS just finished a season. On Thanksgiving, I was at a friend's house. We were having a little Friendsgiving thing for people who were uh, here in LA. And we ended up watching a most of a season of Great British Take Off <laughs> because everyone's just kind of like next episode next episode and we were, we got so into it and I just think that this is a great pick because the hosts are wonderful they're they're funny and they're heartfelt and they, I don't know they do all the things right that I wish American hosts did Mm-hmm. Instead of just like trying to pry the nastiness out of people, they're doing basically the exact opposite of that, which is encouraging the silliness mm-hmm. and the enthusiasm. Sold. Because I, I posted something on Facebook about how much I love the show, and, and out of my Facebook friends rose this small group of fanatics uh, of, of the show, which was awesome. But uh, one, one woman who is British, and then she turned me on to all of this other stuff that Mel and Sue have done. They've been together, working together since the 90s. 
So I found this clip of them doing their very first chat show, which was a lunchtime show uh, back in the 90s. And they're so cute. Yeah, I really I love them. And and, and the other thing about this show is it, it shows that you can have a reality show and you can have a competition and it doesn't have to be mean and evil and create the very worst stereotypes to make it interesting. The tension is all in, oh my God, is this dough going to rise or prove, <laughs> as we say in the UK? Will the dough prove? Will my caramel crystallize because I've stirred it? Very bad. You know, th- there's a lot of tension just in baking. So <clears throat> that's my number one pick. Awesome. Well, what are your guys' honorable mentions? I'd say that my main one that I didn't include was um, Duna Bay as Sun on Sensate, which we mm-hmm. talked about on the show. Um, mm-hmm. I think she was so strong in that role and really held a huge part of that show together. And one of the main reasons why I'm very excited that, that show is going to have a season two. Uh, she would be, like, number six on my list. Uh, the one that I kept coming on my list and coming off and really was the season two problem was Cookie Lion of Empire, who blew me away season one. But I haven't felt compelled to watch season two. I don't think it's necessarily her, but it wasn't strong enough for me to come back. And um, that's how she didn't make it on the list. Um, the other one that kept oscillating on and off the list is Quinn from Unreal. Again... A lady who gives zero fucks. <laughs> I thought about yeah, her. I've got her on my list. I love I love Constance Zimmer as that character. She's a puppet master, and it's so rare to see a female character who is one. I have a I have a kind of a big list of honorable mentions, but I'll go through them really quickly. Um Constance Zimmer as Quinn King on Unreal was definitely on my list. Um another uh, another person I love is Donna Lynn Champlin, who plays Paula on uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I she thought she was going to be on your list. I was like, oh man, Paula's going to be on Teresa's list. <laughs> yeah, I I really wanted to put her on the list. and I mean, you know, anyway, but she's in my honorable mentions. Uh, Claire Beach and Randall Fraser, played by Katrona uh, Balfi on Outlander. Yeah, um, I also thought she, she was going to be on your list. <laughs> yeah, no, she's great. I mean, she's based on a book, and she is very much the character who is in the book, but mm-hmm. I think she was cast so impeccably. I agree. And, and brought that character to life really beautifully. Uh, Minnie from Diary of a Teenage Girl, played by Belle Powley. Um, I thought the Minnie, Minnie character was this incredibly nuanced and complicated teenage girl that I haven't really seen on screen very much. Um, the season two problem was really big with Gina Rodriguez from Jane the Virgin, yeah. who mm. I loved in season one. And then season I two. I love is, this show. Yeah. I'm still totally on board with this show. Right. I think like they're giving her weird dilemmas to deal yeah, with. Yeah. It's just, it's just weird. I mean, I love Gina Rodriguez and I love Jane, but, and then my last honorable mention is really based on seeing the, the first episode of season two of transparent based on kind of nothing, but there's an actress. She's a transgender actress named Hari Neff. Mm-hmm. And oh, she yes. shows up very briefly in the Berlin 1933 uh, little sequence in season one. And I understand that that storyline is going to continue through. Yes. But she, when I saw her, I didn't know who she was. She was so riveting. She doesn't yeah. say a word. She's just dancing. And she was just, just, grabbed me and I had to immediately know who is this what is what is going on here and will yeah. we see her again um so hard enough I'm looking forward I would also say Judith Light from that uh 
from season two of Transparent is she's an honorable mention for me. Um, a couple others that just didn't quite make the list. Um, Carol from Walking Dead. Um, Walking Dead isn't known for nuanced characters, but Carol is the reason we went back and even started rewatching the show because I was like, how could this character go from crying all through season one to being a badass? Um, she's such a badass. She also has an amazing backstory of being a victim of domestic violence, but that also makes her, the strength she gets from that makes her able to survive in this new world in a very cool way that other people don't do well with. So I, I don't know. She's just fucking awesome. Um, and then, um, Maura Tierney's character from The Affair, Helen, who has gotten her own perspective this season and I uh, was really happy to see the Golden Globe nomination for her because she is providing so many layers to this character and uh, it's incredible. She's the main reason I'm watching this show right now. Those are my others. Well, I mean, we could obviously all say Elizabeth from The Americans and Gretchen from You're the Worst. Those were two kind of obvious other. I haven't unbroken. seen either, so sorry. Okay, Brandy would probably <laughs> say these things as well. Yeah. Thank you for listening to, I guess, our final episode of Downton Abbey off-season before the new season of Downton Abbey starts. Uh, Please join us for some live tweeting, both East Coast and West Coast, that night and through the whole season. No spoilers, of course. And thank you so much for listening to the off-season and for joining us for the upcoming final season of Downton Abbey. It's been a great ride, and we are happy to continue through it with all of you are great listeners. Happy holidays. Talking about you a main. Always ready to go. Now when it comes to moving. Babe, you're awful slow and